Hey there, how are you? Welcome to season two. I am so stoked about all the things we have planned for you this year in the podcast. Now, I had a chance to sit down and speak with Sarah Bechtel, and she and I recorded this podcast together. I'm so excited to kick off the brand new year here in 2022 with this interview with Sarah. She is a wealth of information, lovely personality, and I think you're going to get just a whole lot out of our conversation today. So I can't wait to share this with you. So without further ado, let's get to the interview today. The Sharpened Artist Color Pencil Podcast, inspiration and innovation. We're talking everything you want to know about this medium that we love so much. And we're your hosts, John Middick and Barb Sodiropoulos. Hey there, my name is John Middick of sharpenedartist.com. Welcome back to the show. It's Monday, so the podcast has been released, and I'm so excited to welcome my guest today. I'm going to be talking here with Sarah Bechtel. Sarah, how are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. Awesome. Absolutely. Sarah is one of these guests that it's so hard for me to figure out where to even start. She's been working in the medium for a long, long time. You had a position on the national board for the CPSA. She's done a lot of solo exhibitions. She's worked with companies. I could go on and on, but yeah, welcome to the show. And what we'll do, Sarah, then is let's go way back and talk to me. I know you have a BFA, but talk to me about what got you interested in art in the first place, like back when you were maybe a child or something. Um. Okay, so I have always been interested in making art. Okay. Um, as soon as I, you know, like many art kids, as soon as you could pick up a crayon or a pencil, like right. that was it for me. Right. It was really exciting. Um, I think for me, a lot of the inspiration for creating art always came from um, uh, copying what I saw in the natural world. So mm. seeing an animal and then and then trying to draw that animal, that sort of thing. That was definitely my my first inspiration. Um, so I knew from a really young age that I, I wanted to be an artist. Uh, I didn't know what being an artist really meant at that point, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be making things. I wanted to be drawing. I wanted to be painting. So yeah, I took uh, classes when I was younger. My my parents were super supportive, which you don't always hear, yeah, but right. uh, they got me into classes really early. Okay. Um, so by the time I was 10, I was getting to um, study with someone who was teaching me how to draw from life. Mm -hmm. um, you know, drawing and shading skills. Um, I took art classes in high school and then I, I went to college for it as well. So it, it was very, um, it was, for me, it was a very direct path. Mm -hmm. it, it, I knew it was, that's yeah. always what I wanted to do. Yeah. Sounds very, very linear. What, <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in college then what, um, I mean, what did you study in particular? What was the degree? Program? You know, when I was looking at art schools, I thought at that time, up to that point, I had been drawing and doing some painting. Um, and I was really into, at the time when I was looking at colleges, I was really into crafts. So I was looking for a school that had um, a glass blowing department. I was looking for a school that had a metals uh, department. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's eventually what I would go into. Um, so that's how I ended up. Um, I went to the Tyler School of Art, which is uh, Temple University's art school. Okay. Uh, they have wonderful craft programs. Um, and I, and I was, I was in those, those programs and I did take a lot of classes. Um, but when it got down to like actually making art that was important to me and yeah. and developing like my content and my my thought process behind mm -hmm. it, um, 
I found myself going back to drawing and painting because that felt like the right, uh, that just felt like the right avenue for me. Uh, yeah. Um, the glass department, as fun as it was also, um, glass is a very, um, collaborative experience. I don't know if you've ever seen like glass blowing, mm -hmm. either like a demo in person or, you know, on television. Um, but in that hot shop, when, when people are, are creating larger objects, um, it's really a team effort. <laughs> and, and I, you know, for me, the art making process has always been very, um, individual and, mm. and me and yeah. team collaboration. Just, it wasn't a good, it just wasn't the right fit for me at that point in my life. Um, so I think that was part of what sort of made me wind back around to uh drawing gotcha. and painting as gotcha. well yeah so you're in a different season of life now i presume and do you still feel like that you like you like to work um like in isolation that kind of thing and yes yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah honestly yeah uh i've I, i've always been like a little more of the lone wolf type um okay. i'm very comfortable being alone um i like being in my studio alone mm -hmm. um so yeah, I still feel the same way about it, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I I think um, it's probably a pretty common trait among artists, you know. That, I think so, that yeah. We, that I we so. enjoy that alone time, or most of us do, it seems like. I think if you don't, then you're probably um, maybe in the wrong profession, or <laughs> or you find opportunities to get out and interact with others, you know, that kind of Absolutely. thing. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, the art, I think the art community does like to get together and, yeah. you know, openings are fun. Right. And a lot of, I, and I also think a lot of that comes down to whether you're naturally more of an outgoing person or a yeah. little, you know, more of an introvert. Um, so. Yeah, for sure. You graduate from college. Yes. Now what? What happened? That's that's a good question, right? You graduate from art school and now what? Yeah. Because um, being and every art school is different. Um, yeah. The the painting department. So I graduated with my BFA in painting. Um, the okay. painting department at Tyler was very um, at that point in time. It may be much different now. Um, very conceptual driven. Um, very. Uh, and and actually, there was quite a bit of like abstract and conceptual art happening. Okay. There was not any discussion about um, the business side of, of an art career. Mm -hmm. um, really, the push was for, you know, the advice was to go to grad school, to just continue on with grad mm -hmm. school. Um, mm -hmm. and, and not that that isn't a fine choice for many people, but I have to say, but at that point in time, I was schooled out. I was yeah, ready yeah. to uh, be out in the world and, and be done with school. Um, so actually, the first thing I did when I got out of school was um, I got a part-time job as a framer, as a picture framer, oh, yeah. right. because I thought, okay, I, you know, I need something in the meantime, yeah. and that's a good skill to have, like, so I can frame my own work. Um, right. So that was my first deal. And I kind of was just, you know, I, it, it's important. It was important to keep a studio practice going. So I was trying to draw and paint every day. Um, and at that point, I was entering jury shows, um, you know, sort of local mm -hmm. and regional jury shows. Sure. So trying to build some stuff on the resume, um, that let me getting into a show led to my first solo exhibition, um, ah. you know, cause I won an award in a show and then they offered yeah. me a solo show. Nice. Um, and it was at a, it was at a nonprofit art center. Um, okay. but you know, that's nothing to scoff at nonprofit art centers. A lot of times they right. have beautiful gallery spaces. They're really mm -hmm. wonderful people to work with. Um, and that gave me some exhibition experience under my belt, you know, Very putting, nice. putting together a show, putting together a cohesive collection of work. Um, 
So I graduated from college in 2005, and I had my first show in 2007. So um, at that point, that's what I was doing. I was framing, and I was working on my art and and entering exhibitions. And other than that, I at that point I didn't really know what to do. And actually, you know what? Also, I was I was doing commissions as well. I was doing oh, um, were you both figurative portrait commissions and uh, pet portrait commissions as well? Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I I love seeing those animal portraits. Obviously, Uh, they're they're so good. Thank you. But. I'm a portrait artist, and when I look at your portraits, I'm like, okay, my goodness, he can do portraits also. I mean, you're just uh, people portraits, so you're just you're you're very um, skilled at just crossing over and into whatever subject matter you want. Uh, it's real obvious, guys, when you look at Sarah's work. So be sure and check that out in the show notes. Um, but I, I read something that you you said something about how that uh, you are. Your your heart really is uh, for animals and, and that you travel around and try to get animals uh, in their natural habitat and things like that. So that that's very fascinating to me. I don't want to break into the story here that you were weaving. So I always interrupt my guests, so I had to do it to you. No, Let me do okay. it again. <laughs> get ready right. for that. <laughs> that's no problem. Um, but But yeah, that. I do want to talk about that because just your way of um, taking an animal, isolating that animal in a different environment, even uh, as you as you do with, you know, like um, putting him in an unnatural setting, I think is real <laughs> interesting, too. And I also want to talk about a little later on um, the taxidermy pieces that you've done. Well, I, I did read that. in your blog that you did a little taxidermy yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right. So I, I was wondering if that might so come up. a little up. interested. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what? Actually, it actually might be a good point to to touch on the, the figurative portraits versus the animal portraits because um, okay. when I was in school, when I was in college, um, right. I was really focusing on figurative work. You know, okay. pretty much any you know, I, I really tried to, because you can pick which classes you're taking. I really tried to have figure drawing and figure painting um, every semester. Um, okay. I was working on large scale figurative paintings. So I was doing like mm-hmm. things that were like six feet and seven feet um, wide. And um, I presume not in colored pencil. Not in colored pencil. That was oil paint. <laughs> yeah. Um, Boy, I'm sharp. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, and for years after college, I really considered myself a figurative artist. Um, that's okay. what I was primarily focusing on. Yeah. Um, and drawing and painting the figure is, you know, it's a it's an amazing way to build up your 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 skill of being yeah. able to, you know, to see yeah. and process that information and then translate mm-hmm. it into um, a drawing or a painting. Right. Um, but with the figurative work, you know, I was never super comfortable. Finding models was always a struggle for me. Um, yeah, so most of yeah. my work is is family members and close friends. Um, I always had a hard time um, approaching people and broaching that mm-hmm. subject and and the the fo- photography and all that sort of um, that kind of got in the way of my lone wolf sort of studio <laughs> practice. Um, yeah. So that was part of maybe why I started to get away from the figurative work. Um, I still really love painting people. Um, but also the, for the conceptual side of my work, um, and mm-hmm. the messages I want to be talking about and the things I want to be exploring, um, you know, that, that, that all comes from the, the animal kingdom really. So, yeah. mm. uh, it took me a while to get back to the animals because 
I do consider myself a, a contemporary artist and I didn't mm -hmm. want to be doing wildlife work that felt like it was something from a bygone era where it's like mm -hmm. these untouched landscapes that, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? The sort of mm -hmm. wildlife art that you'd see in like the 1800s or the 1700s. Right. Um, oh, sure. So I, it took me a while to figure out how that natural world and, and those animal subjects sort of fit into um, what I wanted to be saying and what I wanted to be talking about, um, which is probably why my animal work is very much almost like a portrait. They are portraits, really, a lot of them. Mm -hmm. um, it's about sort of finding the individual character of the animal and mm -hmm. um, trying to talk a little bit about how these animals have these very rich, exciting lives that play out like something in a Shakespearean play almost. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of like drama in, in nature. Um, yeah. So, so I don't know. That actually sort of ties in because in college I was more of a figurative artist. Um, so I think okay. that ties in to what we're yeah. talking about and the yeah, timeline yeah. kind of, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, other than, you know, you're wanting to spotlight a particular animal and show the richness of their character and a story and that kind of thing. I mean, what, what else, if I can press you just a little bit there, are you trying to say, I mean, when I look at your work, it, um, I don't look at it and say, oh, she looks a lot like so-and-so. I mean, it's very unique. So what is it that you're trying to to do or say with uh, with these uh, portraits of animals? Oh, well, thank you, first of all. Um, and a lot of my, so a lot of my inspiration and where I get my ideas come, come where my ideas come from, um, comes from reading books um, that are about animal ecology. So, okay. uh, and specifically, I've always been really interested in um, the larger mammals, the carnivores, um, sort of like the apex predators of their, mm -hmm. of their ecosystem. Um, so I do get quite a bit of inspiration from animal ecology and understanding, um, sort of where they fit into the landscape, where they fit into, um, the dynamic of both, actually both nature and then also how that fits into the contemporary world. So especially mm. with large predators, animals like bears and wolves and, and mm -hmm. mountain lions, um, you know, they've had a rough go of it here in the United States for yeah. for various reasons. So right. um, that sort of human-animal conflict and mm -hmm. how it's changed over the years, it's getting better, certainly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's still, there's still a lot of um, bad feeling about certain species in certain areas of the country. So I do find a lot of inspiration from... Um, reading books about ecology and also mm -hmm. reading books about um, individual animals. Um, oh, okay. Right. There's some really fabulous books out there, especially related to um, the gray wolves in Yellowstone, mm. because oh, right, those, right. you know, gray wolves were reintroduced to Yellowstone in 1995 mm -hmm. and they have basically been studied, you know, nonstop mm -hmm. since. So right. those, there's quite a bit of good information about individual animals and how exactly mm -hmm. each individual animal lived their life and their family ties um, and that sort of thing. So um, I don't know if any of your, anybody out there is interested in that kind of thing, but I could give you some, oh, some yeah. book titles if you want to put oh, it in like yeah, the show perfect. notes of yeah, um, absolutely. books that I think are particularly amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, that'd be great. Yeah. I got to see some, uh, uh, some wolves uh, in Yellowstone this past summer. We went. Uh, it was it was just fascinating. 
Um, just this summer, so, two thousand and one or two twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. awesome. Just, just saw it. Yeah, it was it was so cool. So if we're talking about um, you know the the that conflict, and then you're you're saying that there are still uh like a bad rap that uh you know there's there's still like this I don't know this prejudice against certain animals in particular, uh, and it's it's these predators usually, right? The apex predators, like we talked about. Um, it, are there? It, do you see that as being like more regional kind of thing, or is it just an overall sense that you have that it's well, still kind of prevalent a little bit? I mean, we're not out there like shooting down the bald eagles and, and yeah. uh, you know hunting the wolves like like we used to, right? Whenever um, a lot of you know farmers and ranchers they had uh, livestock that that they really depended on for their livelihood. I mean, but does it or does it still happen? No, I don't that, know. That it is might. actually still um, very true in in Western states. Um, you know, some of the places that I love best in the United States, uh, like Wyoming and Montana, yeah, um, yeah, and Idaho. Actually, though, in the gray wolf um, was delisted re- fairly recently from the endangered species um, uh, mm. list. So, oh. which in theory is like sort of a success story for the comeback of the species but once they lose the protections of the endangered species act then Mm. um the states take over uh hunting and the quota for how many animals can be hunted um so they maintain the population and yeah um but you know they're without getting without getting it is a political issue in in some respects um without getting too political about it what you find is oftentimes um it's easy, and I understand this. It's easy for me, sitting in my my suburban home in New Jersey, to say, <laughs> right. "Well, there should be wolves everywhere in the United States." You know, they're a beautiful, yeah, majestic yeah. species. Um, they do good things for the ecosystem. Um, right. They keep the checks and balances in place. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of uh, there are quite a few ranchers. Um, yeah. That, that think very well, especially Wyoming, it. like you're like you're talking course, about Wyoming uh, and, and Montana and Idaho. Yeah. Um, they. I think there has been great progress um, in more recent years of trying to um, teach uh, ways of of ranching the land and farming the land without conflict with predator species. Mm-hmm. And there are some mm-hmm. really great ways of doing that. And there's organizations that help ranchers that are open to that. Mm. Um, yeah. But it's a it's it is actually it's especially wolves. It's a very very touchy hot button mm-hmm. subject um, out west. Yeah. 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 Oh, I I could definitely see that. Yeah, I loved uh, being there um, recently in in Wyoming. It was just such a, a refreshing uh, experience to be traveling that far in a vehicle and then going through a little tiny town that it said. I remember, I'll never forget this. It said population nine. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. wow, <laughs> <laughs> right? How often do they change that sign? You know? Yeah, <laughs> that's that's something. No, it is. You know, seriously, it is a, a different way of life. It's it's really cool. Yeah, uh, I, I so. had the opportunity to um, do an artist residency in Wyoming in oh, in wow. 2012. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, there's a there's a ranch out there called Brush Creek Ranch, and it's actually mm. like this really it's like it's like a five star resort. It's like really yeah. fancy, a, an amazing nice. place, and it just happened to be that the owners of that ranch um, had an, developed an artist residency program. Yeah, so like the so artists cool. had their own campus on the ranch. Yeah. But it was a little bit further out than, you know, where the visitors stayed. 
Um, so that was my first experience with like the American West and um, oh, that landscape and the how climate inspiring would and that be? The altitude, like yeah. it was just. I felt like it. It was. I felt like I was home. Like it felt uh, like just. You can breathe out there. Yeah. I want to live there. I mean, I really do. It's yeah. it's so wonderful. It's just it's so beautiful. Um. Yeah. Just those wide open spaces like that. Yep. All right. We got a lot to talk about. Okay. <laughs> so let's. <laughs> I could talk for a long time about about this very issue, but I do want to touch on this. Uh, this idea that, you know, you've got these. Uh, I guess they're paintings. Uh, of, uh, taxidermy. Um, mounted animals. Uh, yeah. So I do have some colored pencil um, taxidermy pieces as well. Oh, okay. okay. Um, but yeah, I have paintings and drawings of the of the taxidermy. And my first introduction to the taxidermy. I mean, not that I hadn't seen taxidermy before. Um, yeah. I you know I love natural history museums. They're right. my favorite places. Really, besides being actually out in nature, um, second best is a natural a good natural history museum. Um, and you've got mounted animals there. <laughs> yeah, so you see a lot of taxidermy there. Yeah, yeah. Um but it was actually that that artist residency in Wyoming that really mm. sort of um made me start looking at taxidermy. Um gotcha. I went to the supermarket there to, you know, kind of stack up on supplies and you know, you're walking through the the produce aisle and there's a buffalo looking down at or there's a bison <laughs> looking down at you. You know, there's an there's an elk giving you the stink eye as you're walking through the meat department. Um so <laughs> I just have to say that has never happened in Cincinnati. <laughs> That's never happened in New Jersey either. Um, I've never seen it. <laughs> and and you know, it's so neat. Yeah. So I think that the town was um, trying to think of what the closest town was to the ranch. I, I the name is escaping me. Um, yeah. The residents of the town were were very accommodating to like uh-huh. the strange artists that came through. Because <laughs> you know, I ha- I was in the supermarket like walking around taking pictures of everything. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just like it was blowing my mind and these people are right, just trying right. to do their their grocery shopping. Um so that's what that's first funny. started sort of made me start looking at taxidermy and it's just a very um it's just a very bizarre thing that kind of evokes a lot of different emotions. You know, yeah. a, a a well-done taxidermy mount is is beautiful and yeah. it's and it's it's kind of like exciting to be that close to something that looks so real and you can really get yeah. in there and like look at all the details of the face mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. um but at the same time it's it's a little grotesque and morbid because <laughs> you know the right. skin was removed from the animal and then stretched around this form of plastic or styrofoam yeah yeah um you know when you're when they're you see these animals looking down at you there's sort of like a there is a comical element to it a little bit for me um so so that's that's i think what drew me to them there's it was there's a lot of different emotions happening there as as an animal lover um being able to appreciate it but also it's a little sad seeing the sadness of it you know in in one respect the animal essentially has this eternal life you know that animal is there forever but Mm -hmm. it's not a life it's a you know it's a it's a plastic thing that just has skin stretched around it. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a yeah. very strange, it's a really strange thing. <laughs> taxidermy. See, I, and I grew up around taxidermy. I, I grew up in Southwest Oklahoma. So I was around a lot of, uh, I was around fishing and hunting. I mean, I was a fisher and a hunter. Uh, I took a taxidermy course uh, when I was 12, I think, something like that. And, um, so I was around it a lot, you know, it's, it feels like a, a lifetime ago and a different person than who I am now um, uh, and where I live and that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, you're right. It, it is, um, 
it is different. It's not as popular as it once was um, because, it, I mean, but it still is. It's still done. It's still practiced. It is an art form, but you're right. It conjures up a lot of uh, very polarizing uh, emotions from different groups. <laughs> no, I would, you know, like I, not to scoff at it. I, I would agree yeah. that it is an art form and, a, yeah. you know, and, and people, I mean, it's people who know the craft and do it well. Yeah. I mean, you're essentially making a beautiful sculpture, you know, yeah. so yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't scoff at it that way. And what's really interesting here on the East Coast, um, I have noticed like a resurgence of it in the context of like um, oddities and sort of mm, like the mm -hmm. curiosity cabinets that were very popular in like the 1700s mm. and and right. up and through like the Victorian era. Um, right. That's become very popular over the last few years. So I've actually seen quite a few taxidermists out here that have popped up. Um, yeah where they only get specimens um, from roadkill. You know, they call themselves yeah. like ethical taxidermists where they only yeah. get their specimens from roadkill or if an animal <laughs> um, passed away at a zoo or, you know, yeah. something like that. Not a, yeah. um, so it's, it's interesting to see that um, sort of. Uh, well, I had a whole freezer full of uh, specimens uh, from roadkill. And yeah. uh, anyway, long story short, the, the freezer, uh, it went out one day and it was in the back shed and uh, we found out um, by smelling it. But anyway. Oh, yes. No. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, my. No. That, that would not be a great freezer to have to clean out. Oh. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about. Wait, you don't, um, you don't want to keep talking about. No, no, the, not really. Not. <laughs> I want to enjoy the rest of my tea. Yeah. <laughs> but, um. Yeah, my dad wasn't too happy about that. Like, I didn't <laughs> yeah. know you had this many in here. I can imagine. Yeah. Um. So you work in a lot of different mediums. Um. So if I go back real far, and in college, were you working in colored pencil a, a lot, or um, you know, half and half? Or, my first oh. experience, I, I started dabbling in colored pencil in high school. Um, and I was still doing it in college. And a lot of the work I was doing in college was um like monotone, you know, like black okay. and white on yeah. a toned paper. Um, right. So I was using colored pencil in that respect for a lot of my drawing classes. Um, okay. I didn't get, and then I was, and then I, when I was going into full color with colored pencil, I was using it more for like small little studies, little still mm -hmm. life type things. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't get into like portraits and figurative working at full color colored pencil until a little bit after college. Um, okay. But I kind of like, I was dabbling with it all the way through. Um, but, you know, at that point in time in the early 2000s, I wasn't really aware of the colored pencil society yet. Um, okay. So I was just sort of like figuring it out. You know, I, I hadn't taken yeah. a class or a workshop. I was just kind of like trying to figure out what this this medium, which I really enjoyed working in, I was just trying to figure out like what it could do exactly, you know? So, yeah. So in 2007, when you had that first show, uh, that was oils, I'm guessing. It was, like it was okay. primarily oil paintings, but I had a couple colored pencils in there as well. Oh, yeah. Okay. So okay. those were, um, I don't think I, I didn't have any colored pencil portraits in there. I had a couple, um, fish actually, they were fish, okay. uh, drawings. And then the first, um, full color portrait that I did I think was in 2008 and that that was I entered into mm. the the colored pencil society show oh, um okay and you know beginner's luck I I got it I squeaked into that one oh um, nice yeah so when I went to the exhibition when I went to the conference um yeah. that's when I was like oh wow you know there was stuff in that show that was 
2008, I think it was in Seattle. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. There was pieces in that show that I didn't know how the artist created them. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't familiar with the burnishing and and solvent blending and all that kind of, all that technique stuff with colored pencil. Right. So it kind of, that kind of blew my mind. Yeah. Right. To see that for the first time. So that really, what made you decide to go just because you got in, you were like, okay, I'm going to go to this. That was the first, um, I think national show that I had gotten yeah. into and it, I just felt exciting. Yeah, um, yeah that I, is exciting. I, I, they told me that I won an award. I didn't know which award. Oh, wow. But What'd you I, win? Um, I, it was like one of the smaller it, awards, but yeah, it, yeah. maybe That's like cool, the district though. chapters award. But it was still really exciting for me at that time. That um, is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I will say, you know, after that, after that one, I think it probably took me another five years to get into the show again, yeah. <laughs> as sometimes yeah. that happens. Right, um, right. So, so yeah, that was the reason I I decided to go, and I'm I'm so glad that uh. I did that. I got to see that work and kind of be introduced to that colored pencil world that I I wasn't familiar with prior to that. Did you start creating more colored pencil pieces then after that? Was that like the impetus after yeah. going there and seeing all these different techniques? I, I think so. Yeah, that, uh, that it was definitely very inspiring and it sure. was um yeah, it was it was a little kick to kind of like really get into it a bit more and start figuring it out. Um and and There's I There's nothing. It, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So, no, go ahead. Um, yeah, at that point, like I was impressed with the show. I I liked the people that I met. So I joined the organization and then Mm -hmm. I think it was the next year in 2009 when I, um, became one of the board members. So Mm, nice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And what were you doing then? What, what was that? Um, I was the product research director. So I was the person that was doing, um, the light fast testing on the pencils Ah, to keep the, the color, the light fast workbook up to date. Um, which also meant that I got to go to um, the ASTM meetings and I got mm-hmm. to go to the NAMTA trade show, which is uh-huh. like a that it's that's a business to business trade show for art yeah. materials and art materials retailers. So I got to kind of like see behind the curtain and meet the manufacturers yeah. and talk about all that technical stuff about the materials, um, which ultimately le- lent me to working with a lot of the the manufacturers. So that was kind of so- like the introduction point for that. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you've, I mean, if you need to get a drink, go ahead and do that. I'm good. So you have, you have worked with uh, Strathmore for quite some time, right? Yes. And, and who else, or who are some of the others? Um, Over the years. So Strathmore, I've been with Strathmore since, since 2012. Um, and I worked with Gamblin from around 2012, 2013. Uh, Uh they had an education program as well that, ran up to around when the pandemic started and then they ah, gotcha. put that on pause to kind of reevaluate because you know things were were hard for everybody at that moment right um so gamblin is an oil paint company for anybody that doesn't know um so strathmore and gamblin mm-hmm. were my two primary um companies that i was doing work for but over the years i've also done work for uh, karen dosh i've done you know educational oh, nice. demos yeah. for for them at um, right. retailers um i did some work for da vinci brushes um oh. For a couple of years, I was on the Prismacolor advisory panel. They had, I don't think they have that anymore, but that was mm. a fun little thing that they did for a while where oh, yeah. they'd fly out, you know, a dozen artists to Chicago and you'd get to talk to them about what they were developing and see some behind oh, the scenes nice. things. Um, yeah. So it's, I, I've had the opportunity to work with quite a few people and it's, it's been positive all the way around. Yeah. yeah. That's very cool. So when you uh, joined the board, the national board, CPSA, 
Did, was there already, I'm trying to think of the time frame here, there probably was, but there was already a, uh, the LightFast standard had already been developed, right? Yes. The D6901. Okay. Yep. I think, yeah, see, now I'm rusty. I've <laughs> been away that, from it for a while. I think it passed in, I want to say 2006 was maybe okay. the year that it initially that passed. About right. But uh, with the those standards, I mean, they're but. working on them for years before they finally get sure. approved. Oh, um, yeah. So they probably were working on that in the very early 2000s. Um, okay. And then I joined in 2009. So mm -hmm. there were some updates that I helped with. They were like mm. revising it. not Nothing major, but just mm -hmm. some revisions to it. Um, so I helped out with that. And um, and yeah, and then I did the life. And what what we would do is when we went to that trade show, the NAMTA mm -hmm. trade show, we'd uh -huh. meet with the different manufacturers that made colored pencils. We'd see what was new on the market. Um, right. And then they, they typically would um, donate a set to the to the to us i would use those for the light fast testing um I, you know and that maybe we'd give them away as a, a prize or something or we'd keep oh, them gotcha. you know yeah. keep them as a just for research purposes um right yeah now we're talking about uh napta um and we'll have a link in the in the show notes if you're interested in looking that up that's the international arts uh, materials association international art materials association um, and, and they do that once a year, I think that trade show, right? Yeah. You know, I, I'm assuming that they may probably missed a couple of years because they of the pandemic. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's usually a once a, once a year thing. Yep. Right. Right. All right. So Sarah, this is very inspirational though. I'm sure if somebody's listening today or watching our video and uh, they're thinking about, you know, Hey, maybe I would like to get into working with uh, a manufacturer or a company, maybe a pencil company or a paper company. So what would you say to someone who has those types of uh, aspirations? I would say that, you know, my my time on the Colored Pencil um, Society of America, my time on the board, yeah. um, that was a volunteer position. And when I, when I saw that position open up, the product research position, I had always been interested in materials. That was something mm -hmm. that really kind of sparked my curiosity. Um, I, I yeah. always like, and I think a lot of artists really love art materials and like right. talk and shop with each other and experimenting. Right. Um, so that just was like, just sort of like a little light went off, like, oh, okay. That, I, but I didn't actually realize at that point in time, all those doors that would open up for me mm -hmm. as a direct mm -hmm. result of that position. And right. now, so I'm not suggesting that you should volunteer with the intention of getting something out of it in the end. But I That'd do probably be the wrong motivation. Right? <laughs> but I do think, you know, keep yourself open to those sorts of opportunities because you never know where they're going to lead to. I mean, yeah. not only was it a wonderful experience because it's a great organization and I made a lot of friends and the people are wonderful, but it really yeah. did. Um, it fostered relationships with those companies and allowed sure. me um, to get those other positions. Now, interestingly enough, like so Strathmore and Gamblin. You know, mm -hmm. Strathmore Paper and Gamblin Oil Paint, they are not right. related in any sense of, like, the companies being combined or anything. But at, when I started, the same person was managing the education department for each of those companies. So, so that's how I got in sort of, like, um, with both of them. And what it wasn't, it wasn't a specific result of the Colored Pencil Society. I, I went and saw one of the demos, mm. you know, I went and saw mm -hmm. one of the presentations. I was taking a drawing class at the Art Students League in New York City. Um, one of the teachers had scheduled a Strathmore and a Gamblin presentation on the same day. 
Um, right. And I sat through it and it just like, it really kind of blew my mind. Um, you know, it, it, I thought, I thought I kind of knew paper and I sat through that presentation and I realized, man, I don't know. I don't know anything about paper. It was very like, and for a materials nerd, it was very exciting. Um, yeah, yeah. So after those presentations, I just, I went up to the woman and I said, man, how did you get this job? This is like my dream. And she said, oh, you know, I've been doing it for a while, but I'm based in Philadelphia and, and actually there's no one in New York right now. So I'll pass your contact info along to the education manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that was the introduction. So that was a little bit of luck. You know, it's kind of in the right mm-hmm. place at the right time. But I do think mm-hmm. that my past experience, you know, my experience with the Colored Pencil Society and my experience having already yeah. met some of the manufacturers um, was a benefit to, to that sort yeah. of thing. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. So, for sure. you know, I, I mean, that's very specific to my exact um, experience. Um, yeah. But what I would say to people is, you know, always keep just always keep your eyes open for, for these sorts mm-hmm. of opportunities because you don't know where they're going to lead. Um you can always check, you know, you can check manufacturers' websites um, to see if there's actual, like, if you're looking for more of, like, a, a, a job job, like a like a full-time position. Um, quite a few of the people that I met at various manufacturers had come from a fine art background. They were artists huh? that had jumped into, like, the manufacturing mm-hmm. side of things. Um, and then another thing I would say is, you know, if you're looking for maybe just to sort of start to foster these relationships, um, obviously, I'm sure everybody's heard this a million times, but um, social media is is a good place to start mm-hmm. to think about that. Um, I know specifically with Strathmore, they have a contact form on their website. So, I mean, they're always looking for content for blog mm-hmm. posts, for educational videos. You know, they have workshop series. So if you have a good idea. You know, if you're an artist and you have yeah. a good idea, if you think you have something fresh and new to present, you can always, you know, submit a request and say, Hey, I have this right. idea. Do you, do you, do you want to, does this, does this, do you want to work with me? You know, like, do you think this would be a good fit for you? Um, so that's one thing I would say, check for contact right. forms on websites. Um, you know, when you're, when you're posting your artwork, um, post pictures of your materials, tag the manufacturers. Mm-hmm. So they start to become familiar with your work. Um, you know, because it's, it's, I mean, of course, there's many, many artists out there, but at the same time, it's kind of a small world, you know? So if they start mm-hmm. seeing your name pop up in different places um, and you start engaging, then um, that could lead to something, definitely. And, and, you know, and I, I will, you know, just as a little sidebar, I will say, um, you know, always do that with a genuine sort of um, perspective in mind, you know, not... These are not the sorts of opportunities or relationships that you want to foster if, like, you don't even use the materials or something like that. So, like, <laughs> right. you know, go from, like, a ge- – like, if there's a if there's something that you're really passionate about, if there's a specific right. material or surface that you really love, then just yeah. shout that from the rooftops and, and start kind of forging those um, – relationships yeah. but yeah do it in a do it in a genuine way <laughs> yeah no, that makes a lot of sense it seems like the motivation needs to be there uh first you need to be excited i mean if you are excited you know about creating art and you're using uh whatever materials you're using i think this is excellent advice then to listen to what sarah has to say go to the manufacturers uh and think put yourself in their shoes and think how can i benefit a larger community uh, maybe you do have a great idea, but think about it from their perspective. You know, is this going to benefit a larger community of, of uh, you know, website visitors or people that may be following them on social media? Uh, if you 
come at it from that angle, I think you're probably going to be better off. The other theme, though, that I'm, I'm hearing here is that, you know, Sarah, uh, she didn't go into this uh, thinking, you know, oh, this is going to lead to all these great things. It did, but she had to put herself out there first, and she did things on a volunteer basis. So she was just excited uh, to be able to serve and to help in some way first, and uh, then uh, asserting yourself uh, after you have that opportunity uh, can lead to other things is what I'm hearing. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Um, Le- oh, go ahead. Did you? Nope. You go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. A final thought on on the volunteer work is that um, I I really got so much out of it, and I I loved interacting mm-hmm. with the members. You know, I was sort of the person that they would come to with materials questions. And sometimes I'd have to do a little bit of research and contact a manufacturer. And I, mm-hmm. I genuinely enjoyed that. Um, and at the same time, it allowed me to kind of gain this whole education about materials that I didn't have. So I, yeah. so going back to what you said, it was a very much a win-win situation, you know, mm-hmm. like for, for both parties. And that's mm-hmm. the same thing that I would say keep in mind if you're, if you're thinking about you want to do this kind of work. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody's busy. So if if you have this right. idea and you want to work with a specific manufacturer, um, I think you're going to get a much more positive response if you say, you know, hey, I have this idea for mm-hmm. a blog post or an article or a video, mm-hmm. rather than just saying like, hey, I want to work with you. Will you give me free stuff or something like that? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that might fall flat just a <laughs> <right>. little bit. <laughs> so I think people appreciate a well-developed idea and yes. and and appreciate it being a win-win, you know, how, how can it right. benefit both parties? Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, uh, just to that point also, I mean, the, so this doesn't sound like it's uh, all that different from anything else we do in life, right? It's really not. <laughs> if you yeah. think about how you can, you know, how you can be of service to somebody and help, then, uh, I think you've got the right frame of mind, uh, going into something like that. Um, I, I admire, though, just how strategic you have been in forming relationships. And, and um, you know, we talked about, you and I, before we came on here, that uh, it's very important for an artist to think about themselves as a business and to try to diversify their income streams. Uh, what would what do you have to say about that? I mean, is there some encouragement you want to give yeah, um... artists who are trying to figure this out, you know, uh, they didn't get a business degree. Maybe they got an art degree or maybe they're just wanting to switch, um, you know, careers and start doing art and earning from it. It's, um, yeah, it, it, it's taken, I mean, I'm still figuring it out. Aren't we all like always figuring <laughs> right. it out? And I know yeah. actually in the, the episode that you released yesterday on, um, October 4th, you and Barb talked mm-hmm. a little bit about diversifying income streams. So, um, mm-hmm. that already came up, um, but right. yeah, so I would say, you know, as probably you've all heard hundreds of times, um, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Uh, you, right, at right. any point in time, you can, one of your revenue streams can dry up. You know, you can mm-hmm. be looking, you can be following that like hotshot artist on Instagram who has representation at the best gallery and, and they just look like they have everything made. Um, but like, you know, that gallery can go out of business at any moment, you know? And if that's it, if that's all that that artist had going for them, um, then, then it's almost like they're starting from scratch. Yeah. So the art materials, um, 
relationships and that world has given me a really great um, diversification in my income stream. So I can sell my work, um, you know, through both direct to my collectors. um, And also I work with a couple galleries. Um, I do commissions for people. Um, I do my work with uh, the the, with Strathmore. And actually Strathmore, just as a little side note, um, Strathmore is now sort of under the umbrella of a larger company called Fila. They're based in Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, so so really within that umbrella now, it's Strathmore, but there's also Canson and Arsh Paper and St. Cuthbert's Mill. Um, so I get to actually work with a lot of really awesome art paper now too. I thought that, that just blew my mind too uh, <laughs> when Canson and Strathmore became one really under that umbrella. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> I know it is. Kind of, this is an either or. I thought. Yeah. <laughs> not anymore. It, it's not anymore. And and yeah. And actually, I think that there's some. You know, there's they do overlap. Of course, they make some. Yeah. You know, similar types of papers but um right there's certain things that i think that each of them do really really well so i i think there's uh-huh. like kind of they kind of have their uh-huh. like specialty things as well oh that's cool um yeah and so so all that diversification i've also over the years i've continued to frame to picture frame for people uh-huh. um so one of the framers that i worked for um it was a husband and wife and they're really lovely people um and when they decided to retire i i bought all their equipment from them so i've oh, got wow. a i've got a frame shop too yeah, that i that's that i nice. do framing for other artists sometimes as well oh very cool so do you uh do you go to a location to do that or is this out of your home now i have um a studio like where so it's my it's my painting studio um okay. it's my art stuff storage and nice. it's my um okay. frame shop as well i do not keep yeah. like i don't keep retail hours as like an like a picture framer because yeah. i don't want to do that full time um so it's more like project to project based and uh word of mouth you know what i mean like gotcha. so yeah. so and that kind of keeps it at a reasonable amount of work um because mm-hmm. i do just want it to be like one little piece i don't want it to be yeah. an all-encompassing you know i want to be an artist you I don't, don't want just it to be a be full-time a... job <laughs> exactly yeah yeah Yep. So, I mean, if we think about the things you just listed, I mean, galleries, solo exhibitions, working with companies, uh, framing, uh, doing uh, commissions, selling work, selling prints, maybe. Yeah. I know you do that. Yep. Uh, there's a whole lot of different things that uh, I, hope you, I hope this is a takeaway here, guys, that uh, Sarah has strategically decided to, um, you know, create all of these multiple income streams. But the focus, um, you know, can really only be in uh, maybe a couple things or three things, maybe max, right, at one time. Uh, so do you find that there are maybe rhythms in business where you're more focused in one area at a time yes. than others? Yes, uh, that's yeah. a good point, 100%. So so my my work um, with uh, Strathmore and, and the brands in the Fila mm-hmm. um, company, um, that is really busiest during the college semesters because ah, yeah, um, most sense. of the presentation, most of the educational presentations I do for them are for college classes. Um, okay. I, you know, I go to art centers and ateliers and and some retail stuff too. Yeah. Um, so that tends to be busiest in like October, November, mm-hmm. and then again in like February, March. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I kind of block that time off as knowing like that's when I'm going to be busy with that. Um, sure. I typically, for one of the galleries I work with, I typically show with them in the summer. So I know mm-hmm. like spring leading up to summer, I'm, I'm really like, I'm in the studio every day, like hustling to get, mm-hmm. um, work done for that. Um, right. so there you're, you're absolutely correct. There's definitely rhythms to it. 
And I, I don't want people to, you know, you don't have to do everything, you know, but, but I do think it's a good idea to, to have a few things that you're passionate mm -hmm. about, things that you actually mm -hmm. want to be doing. Um, right. All of the things I, I am very lucky to say, like all the things that I do, I, I enjoy doing. And I've really, mm -hmm. but I've worked to, to get to that point. You know, there was for years, I painted murals for people. I painted murals mm. in schools and in, in people's homes. And because it was, you know, because it was doing art and it, I, I got paid for it. Um, mm -hmm. I wasn't super passionate about it, but like that was a, you know, that was a time in my life where I did that. Um, mm -hmm. And now I luckily like I can, I have moved on and I'm now doing <laughs> other things, you know, not that yeah, I, yeah. it just wasn't, you know, it just wasn't my favorite thing. That's all. It wasn't my, my passion. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was right, a right. good while it lasted though. You know? Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. I was talking to uh, Giddy Rixt not that long ago and she was talking about how she had done murals and, um, she said that physically she just was not interested in, in doing it after a while. Yeah. It was just very taxing physically. Oh, that's so cool. So uh, you've, you've just got so many different experiences. It's hard to kind of narrow down uh, what, you know, we should be talking about. I know uh, even regarding paper, you've, you've got just a, a, a lot of information that you could share on that as well. But uh, I did want to hit on, a, you know, we're just going to make this a very eclectic kind of conversation sure. and talk about everything yeah. under the sun, apparently. <laughs> we kind of floated the idea, you and I, of talking about your development of your ideas for your pieces that you're uh, going to work on and where you find inspiration and that kind of thing. And I know we hit on it a little bit earlier uh, in this conversation, but is there anything that you can think of, Sarah? with regard to uh, that type of topic, I can't, and the, really the reason I'm asking that kind of thing, I cannot tell you how many times I get an email from somebody. Uh, and oftentimes it's, um, you know, an art mentoring student or, or just one of my students in the courses. And they'll say, I, I'm giving up or I, I don't have any ideas. Everyone's doing everything, you know, and I don't have any ideas. I want a fresh idea of what to do myself. And I feel like all I'm doing is copying everyone's artwork. I think we've all felt like that at one time or another. You know, I know I have. It's just this, this sense of despair. And it's so heartbreaking to me when that happens. So is there any advice you would give people that are kind of in that situation? Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, I, I think some for some students, there can be this idea of what sort of subject matter constitutes being worthy for, of art or not worthy of art. Um, and I would say, you know, anything can make a great art piece. You know, it's, it's not necessarily the starting point. It's what you bring to it. So I would say for people, you know, just what really gets you jazzed? You know, like, what, what are you really excited about? Like, separate it from the art, what do you like to do in life? You know, what gets you excited? What are the things you're interested in? Um, if that doesn't get you anywhere, um, take a walk in nature, you know, like go for a hike, go to a park. You know, it doesn't have to be like, you don't have to be out in Wyoming. Wyoming's awesome, but it doesn't have to be Wyoming. <laughs> it could just be like a local park. Um, mm. Start there. Start looking at the colors. Look at the colors of everything. Because like mm. even just one color can be like an inspiration point to, to jump mm. off of. Mm -hmm. um, for me, uh, you know, as I mentioned, being in nature, um, seeing seeing wildlife and animals, um, and going mm -hmm. to natural history museums has always been mm -hmm. um, 
those have been like my three starting points. And there were years that like, you know, there was, there was many years when early in my marriage, my husband was busy. I was busy. You know, we were hustling mm -hmm. to make things work. It's not like we were like jet right. setting around and doing a lot of traveling. Um, yeah. And that's where I would go to museums, you know, and, and mm. really like, like what sort of things interest me? Um, right. Read books, you know, read magazines. Um, luckily for me that, that, and, the animal kingdom and nature is such a big inspiration for me. I feel like that's an endless resource. Um, mm -hmm. So if, you know, if you've gone through all that stuff and you still got nothing, like start there, you know, if you, yeah, if you didn't yeah. think you're an animal person, go to an, go to a natural history museum. Um, I mean, art museums are inspiring as well, but I don't know. I've never, you know, I go to art museums and I look at the application of paint. I look at the technique. Yeah. I look at color palettes. All of those mm. things are inspiring. But yeah. I, I don't necessarily go to art museums for subject matter and concept. Yeah, yeah. You know, so like I think those can be inspiring. But I, I think maybe to find subject matter and the conceptual side of your art, you know, try stepping mm -hmm. outside of the art world. You know, try stepping I into your hobbies and, and the things that you already like doing. Right, right. Yeah, I find that I'm more energized and I want to get back to the easel more. When I mean, there's a I can drive five minutes, uh, and I I do this often, uh, and go to a nature center that's right here by me, and it has a, a shallow creek, and I mean it's wonderful, miles and miles. Uh, I can go on trails uh, there, and it's so uh, inspiring to me, and just re-energizing. It doesn't it doesn't have to be new or different than what you've seen before. Uh, the more that, uh, and I, I like this, you didn't really say this, Sarah, but, uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to take this a different direction a little bit, but yeah, when you go to a museum, what do you think is going to happen if, you know, if I'm inspired by what I'm seeing, um, or if I'm just perusing over there on Instagram or something like that, most of the time, two things might happen, you know, one of two or both <laughs> for me anyway, I'm talking about me. Uh, I'll, I'll start getting jealous of all this great work that, that people are doing that I'm not doing. Uh, secondly, I'll start thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to do that, you know? And, and then I'll, I'll want to just like emulate things that I see. I'm not saying that's bad, but what I'm saying is I think there's something different that happens inside when I go on a nature walk or when I, you know, uh, just get inspired by, you know, I did this about a week, uh, two weeks ago, I guess it was. Uh, wife and I went to, on Saturday, we went to this old town, uh, not too far away. It's just got a lot of old boutique shops and things like that. And I just, we, we were there for a while walking around doing things. And then I, we just sat, uh, I just sat on a porch of this restaurant after we ate outside. It was beautiful weather. And I just sat there looking at the clouds. I, I probably looked like the silliest person ever, but it was, it was just very, um, uh, what's the word I want to use? It, it, it emptied my thoughts and it helped me with just clarity and just thinking about what, what I like to do and what, you know, means something to me, what matters in life and reconnecting with who you are, even as a person, I think you can find inspiration, uh, when you do that for unique things to you, if, if that's what you're really after. And if you think about, oh, I got to have my own style or genre or subject that kind of thing, then just reconnect with who you are. Yeah. I, I think, you know, getting out, getting out of your own head a little bit and just mm -hmm. being somewhere. And, you know, yeah. some, some things that, that I do when I'm in a place, you know, that I've never been before is like, I always check, like, 
I always just Google like things to do here or mm -hmm. like I go on TripAdvisor. I like I do that for places yeah. in New Jersey. There's all kinds of like weird little yeah. places that you probably that are within very easy driving distance right. to where you live right. that you've never been. And, you know, you might think to yourself like. I, I don't know, you know, like you might think like this doesn't sound like something I want to paint, but like you never know what you're going to find somewhere. You know what I mean? Like you might go to see an old house and you're like, I don't care about architecture. But then like you see this cool wallpaper pattern inside or you see this like little bit of peeling paint. Oh, yeah. And like it's just you right. never know where those the, the best ideas are going to come from. So I think yeah. it's really important to stay curious. And, yeah, and just, yeah. just, you know, and make that time to, it, it could, it can seem in, in the busy lives that we all lead that that is um, a little self-indulgent. Um, but I think it's really important for artists to like, just like, mm -hmm. let your, let your imagination go, like, be curious, give yourself yeah. a little bit of time to, to waste time. Maybe, maybe, and yeah. you might end up with like and the best idea. <laughs> yeah. Procrastination isn't always a bad thing either. Yeah. Uh, sometimes procrastinating on purpose uh, has has its own uh, merits, you know, really. Oh, yeah. So Road Trippers uh, also is a good app uh, if you're not familiar oh, with that I'm one. Not That's familiar a, with another that. good one. Yeah, that one's that one's really good. Um, and it, it, if you allow it to give you some uh, suggestions or notifications of pop-ups, it will suggest different areas uh, where you are, different things to do while you're in that area. Oh, that's really if, cool. You know, if you want to let it know where you are so writing yeah writing road that trippers. Down so i don't forget <laughs> yeah sarah let's talk about your preferences in colored pencils and materials that you use and paper supports surfaces uh any anything else that's very different uh maybe than what perhaps we're used to but i do want to know what your favorite pencils are um karen dosh okay. luminance uh the derwent drawing uh, yeah I love those. They're really good. Um, and then I, I, I still have Prismacolors yeah. splattered in there okay. as well, but only only the colors that have highlights. Yeah. Ratings. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so those would be like, those are my three go-tos oh, for gotcha. the colored pencils. So no yeah. polychromos pencils? Um, I have a couple mixed in, um, okay. but I don't feel that they, for my specific uh -huh. techniques or my specific um, application, okay. I don't feel that they like add anything necessarily new to the mix. And what about Derwent Lightfast? You don't use those? Um, the Derwent Lightfast, I've bought a couple to test them out, and I do like the consistency okay. of them. But I'm at the point with the colored pencils where I sort of only pull new things in if it's something that I feel I don't already ha have with something else. So with the, with the Derwent Lightfast, like I pulled in some other, some mm. colors that I felt like weren't available in the other okay. lines. Um, but honestly, I'm not the type of artist where like, I feel like I need to have the same color in like six different pencils. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, because then that just is a lot to sort mm -hmm. through. Um, so if I have like a color in a line that's working for me, I don't necessarily feel like I need to, pull another one in that's like a, that's like the same color unless it unless it brings something new to the table okay. i guess i would say so the consistency and properties of the particular pencil that doesn't matter as much to you as the color of you know, whatever the yeah, the is. color is important um i i lean towards um more waxy more softer yeah, yeah. softer colors i you know okay. the softer pencils um so you don't like the pablo uh, pencils you don't use those either i guess no, they're pretty hard I, yeah yeah, the problem. I, I mean, I feel between the luminance and between the luminance and the and the Prisma color, yeah. I 
I, I get what I need. Okay. And then the Derwent drawing are just like so creamy yeah. and like thick and rich. Yeah. Um, and light fast. I love them. And those are, yeah, they They're all so have good. great light fast ratings. Great. So, um, okay. Yeah. Interesting. I keep it pretty, I, yeah, I keep it pretty simple yeah. actually with the colored pencils. All right. So what about surfaces? Um, so for surfaces, so my work as of lately, I, I'm not really doing any any work that's 100% colored pencil. Um, I prefer more of a mixed media ah, technique. Okay. So what I use is um, Strathmore makes a paper. It's the 500 series, uh, 500 series mixed media board. Mm -hmm. So it's of sort of like an illustration board. Yeah. Um, the 500 series Strathmore papers are are cotton, so mm -hmm. it's a cotton board. Um, it's got like a vellum medium texture. Yeah. And um, but it's got the sizing, and it's appropriate for wet media. So what I typically do is I tone the board first yeah. to a whatever specific color ah, um, okay. I want it to be, and I usually do that with um, a fluid, a very thinned out wash of uh, fluid acrylic. Fluid transparent. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, you could achieve the same thing with a watercolor. Um, I like using the, tr like a fluid acrylic because um, it doesn't reactivate. And mm -hmm. I, I like that. I like that once it's set, it's set and I can add more water or layers on top mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't move. Okay. So that's why I pick the the acrylic, but you could get the same effect with watercolor. Now it's yeah. really thin. And so are you... Um... Does it also create, though, a little bit more of a barrier even on top of that sizing on that board or not? You know, I thin it out so much. Okay. It It's thinned out past the point that I think the man, that the manufacturer would recommend. Okay. Um, the reason it works on paper is because paper is absorbent. Mm -hmm. But, like, you wouldn't be able to paint with that type of um, wash on, okay. like, a canvas. Okay. You know what I mean? Like a non-absorbent surface. Right. So it really um, – it doesn't leave like a like a plasticky film. Yeah. Um, it's very much still the texture of the paper. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so just whatever various uh, hue you're wanting on the background or the work with yeah. you're using. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So a lot of the, um, I mean, I, I pretty much never work on white paper. White. I yeah. really like having a tone, even if it's just a light color. Okay. Um, so any of the colored pencil work on my website is either done with an acrylic tone on the paper oh. or, um, you know, when if I if for some reason I did want to work specifically with just colored pencil, uh -huh. nothing else, um, I'd probably work on Stonehenge, um, okay. one of the, the, the toned Stonehenge's right. papers. Interesting. Okay. Because it's a that's a great paper as well. Yeah. Um, but for for mixed media technique, um, the 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 Strathmore Mixed Media, mm -hmm. the 500 series is really good for that. So Strathmore Mixed Media 500 series, the uh, it's called Illustration Board or no, Mixed Media, it's just called, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's called Mixed Media Board. Yeah. And then they also have a 500 series um, heavyweight mixed media, which is it's super heavyweight. It's uh, 350 pound. Um, so they're, they're actually very similar. It's basically just one is a really thick paper and the other one is um, – like more like an illustration board, yeah. but they have the same surface texture, um, and they're they're both mixed media, so they're sized appropriately for wet media applications. Oh, so yeah, this is what I've got here. Yep, that's the exact okay, thing. Okay, yeah, I love that. I love it. Uh, I haven't used it a whole lot. I've used it for maybe one, maybe two. It seems like that it uh, was just highly absorbent. Uh, like if I put water um, in particular, if I put water down, it just like absorbed it right away. 
kind of like what, you know, Stonehenge would do or something like that. But maybe it's my memory. I'm just not remembering. I'll have to try it again. Interesting. It's definitely, um, yeah, you know, it's not like a watercolor mm -hmm. paper that's really heavily sized where, you know, the watercolor like yeah, just, just floats, floats on around, top. Yeah. There's definitely some absor absorbency yeah, sure. to it. Um, so I, I, I know what yeah. you're saying there. So yeah. other than those two surfaces, I mean, is that, uh, is there anything else that's that you basic, use? Um, no, that's basically my okay. go-to when I'm doing work with colored pencil, um, you know, I will layer colored pencil and then I'll use, I'll continue to use really thin mm -hmm. washes of the acrylic. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not much of, I'm actually not like a solvent okay. user. I don't really use um, solvent for blending. I like, what I like about the combination of the colored pencil and yeah. the acrylic is that, you know, I'm using colored pencils that are not water soluble. So, and I'm shading on a medium tooth yeah. paper. So, you know, you get that like speckly effect. You get the texture uh, of the paper. And you like that. Through. I, yeah, I like yeah. that. And then what the, the thin washes of acrylic do is they fill, they fill the light areas mm. and they create more saturation, but you don't lose the texture of the pencil, which I, I mm. like that. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not an artist. Like I don't necessarily want the colored, my colored pencil work to like look like yeah. a painting. I want it to look like a drawing right, right. media. Um, which is just, that's just personal yeah, preference. Yeah. That's nothing other than oh, you know, I, personal right, preference Yeah, there. sure. I love that too myself. Um, I, I notice that most of my students don't like that look. <laughs> so I often uh, will give that whole saturated kind of look um, just because, yeah. you know, I'm trying to teach a project or something. But I love that where you can get a sense of that medium also. Yeah, that is a, a, a preference I have as well that I, I just like that look. Yeah. I like being able to look at it and tell. You know, just like what, you know, what they did, what the materials were or, you know, something about it. That's so cool. It gives like a little bit of a hand, the hand of yeah, the artist. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's not over, overly slick. Right, it's right, like right. you can, you can feel that it's a, something you know, handmade. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, is that a relatively new um, board? I mean, maybe five years or is it? Not, I mean, that Strathmore you board, know, has it been around for a while or I don't know? I think it's, I think it's been around a little bit okay. longer. I mean, and not as long as some of the other surfaces. Yeah. I, I don't actually know what year it okay. came out. I think it's not quite as common of a surface because what I find is in, in art supply stores, you know, a lot of times they'll carry the 300 and the 400 series, yeah. but they won't have as many of the 500 yeah, series. Yeah, notice that um, too. Things. So I think it's just a little bit um, harder to come mm -hmm. by in person. Okay. Is, is yeah, my thought yeah. process. I, I like that surface. I just don't don't know why it's not um, as available. Doesn't seem to be. Okay, very yeah. cool. I love that. Uh, what size? Is there a preference on size that you like, or is that kind of all over the board? It's all okay. over the board. Yeah, um, gotcha. I'll do work anywhere from like little five by seven mm. things up wow. to Small. you know a full sheet of um, like a, whatever the the full sheet is. Uh, like I'm 20 sure. something Thir inches 20 20 by yeah. 30 yeah, wow. yeah i i mean i don't a lot of my work does have um quite a bit of open mm -hmm. space uh so it's not that i'm, I'm not necessarily like filling in yeah. every single one of those specks right. of paper um but it yeah. uh yeah there's some consistency though in your work and the composition uh i love because it's something that you can just enjoy uh the art it doesn't this is something, I mean, again, it's personal preference, obviously, but I love it when you can look at work and you don't feel crowded. 
you you feel like you can just enjoy the subject and look around and enjoy the subject entirely without feeling like it's a crowded space or there's things kissing the edges uh you know nothing nothing wrong with that but i just i just love that like these um pieces with the the fox uh some of these animal portraits are just so wonderful uh the squirrel with the cupcake and the pepperoni oh, pizza thank you those are great <laughs> so thank neat. you um wow anyway okay yeah you guys have got to go over and check out sarah's uh website and look at what she's got uh in her galleries over there so sarah let's let's talk about advice for a moment you've been doing this for a long long time and you have learned a lot of things just by testing yourself by being involved with other companies and being part of uh, the testing process what what would you say to someone who is brand new to color pencil or brand new to art in general? Um, what's what's some advice you would give someone who is wanting to to learn? Let's talk to the beginner. Okay. So someone who's just okay. wanting techniques and wanting to learn, you know, they're overwhelmed. Okay. Uh, by all yes. the recommendations and and no, you should use this surface or that surface and all the pencils and all of that, what what would you say to that person who's brand new to colored pencil? Okay, so to that person, I'd say welcome, <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, I'd also say, you know, and and keep in mind, this is coming from somebody who, who absolutely loves art mm -hmm. materials, um, but what I would say is, you know, art materials are only gonna get you so mm -hmm. far. You know what I mean? The most important, I think the most important step of your process is really taking the time and learning how to draw. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it sounds so simple mm -hmm. and nobody wants to hear that because it's like not sexy, right. but like that's, that's it. I, if, if, a, if you know, if a person has strong drawing yeah. skills and they can look at something and then translate that into onto yeah. paper, I mean, you could give them a, a paper bag from the grocery store and like a burnt matchstick and they can create a masterpiece. Yeah. yeah. You know? So again, as much as I love art materials, like knowing the brush that somebody uses or knowing that like this exact technique that they use to apply the layers of colored pencil, um, it's not going to count yeah. for anything if you, if you can't draw. Yeah. Um, so I, I think drawing skills are really important. Um, understanding value mm -hmm. on like, being able to look at a subject. And of course, I'm coming from a very representational art yeah. background. So I'm sort of talking in terms of right. representational oh, sure. art. Um, this would be different for an abstract artist. They're not probably. in my audience. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. There are, there are <laughs> no, some in the know, audience. I, I'm, jo the, I'm joking yeah, totally. A, but yeah, most of the time we're talking about representational art. Yeah. It's a, it's a smaller um, yeah. percentage of the colored sure. pencil world. Yeah. Definitely. The, the abstract yeah. artist. Um, so, so understanding yeah. value, like being able to look at what you're drawing and really being able to, um, like see the lights, the light and the dark, um, and being able to translate that. Um, so I think it's, I think starting in, in black and white or starting with graphite is, is mm -hmm. really great, um, for right. a while, you know, learning your value before you jump into full right. color because full color then introduces a whole new thing into the, into the mix. Yeah. Um, so drawing skills and, and value are, are super important. And then once you feel like you have an understanding of that, then you can start thinking about color theory and color mixing, yeah. um, and all that good stuff, which is, <laughs> you know, you could spend 
years yeah. on yeah. that, which again, that's not sexy. Nobody wants to hear that, but um, there, there's, so, there's something to be said for putting in your 10,000 hours. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, sure. So, um, so I, th- my guess is like people are not going to love that advice. Well, maybe, they're probably but, tired um, of hearing I, it because I, I say it all the time. too. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. It really is true. Um, all of those things that sometimes seem so difficult and just the acquisition of knowledge on, oh, what pencil color do I need? Or what, you know, I can't tell what colors to mix together. All of those things, they suddenly become so much easier when you have the fundamentals down and when you do know value, then you can move on. I mean, I, I, I kind of put, um, you know, composition and design way up there though, as well, because, uh, you might be able to, you know, execute and maybe you speak very eloquently whenever you're, uh, speaking in value and you're, and you're executing and creating pieces with graphite or charcoal. But then the composition could be all off. And, and, so, and so that is something that, you know, doesn't communicate well sometimes with the viewer. Um, and I think that can be learned as well. It's something that in the beginning, if you learn those things, then putting color on top of it, you know, it's like the, the icing on the cake, right? <laughs> totally. I mean, I, not, again, not to, not to simplify it, but like, you know, if, if you have a, beautifully drawn let's you know let's say we're talking about portraits yeah. or figurative work you know if you're if you've got the proportion and the anatomy yeah. and the composition down on this portrait that you're working on and you're trying to shade like the crease above yeah. an eyelid uh, whether you use green or violet yeah. or sienna like it it actually almost becomes right. less important right. i couldn't agree more i love color but um couldn't agree more and and what i would say also about composition and design i think that's one of the the places where you can really get a, quite a bit of inspiration from an art mm-hmm. museum you know cuz you can walk through and you can look at other artists drawings and paintings and you can say like pick out the ones that really speak to you and 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 look at the composition of them where are things placed within the viewing space and and why does that speak to right. you so i that's one of the, the the times I would say that art museums are mm. really inspirational for that kind of um, oh, learning. That's interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, another thing I would say for people who are kind of new and and starting mm-hmm. out, um, but this uh, this goes for everybody. Um, you know, being an artist, there's a lot of rejection mm, involved right. in it, and this is probably something that your audience has heard before many times. Um, but man, for every Every little step forward for me, everything that I've gotten into, you know, there've been at least half a dozen rejections. Yeah. And and that, you know, that's something that, especially now with social media, it's something that people don't really talk about. Yeah. Um, some people do, but, it, you know, it's kind of like everything that people see, see is, is everyone else's highlight yeah. reel. Um, and that's something that's talked about a lot with social media. Right. But, um, you know, you, it, it's, it can be scary and it can be um, frustrating. And there's still times, you know, I try to, to keep a very even keel but every once in a while i get rejected from something and it like stings a little yeah, bit it hits me right. you know and i mope around for a yeah. little bit um but that's part of it and you're not gonna you're not gonna get the wins unless you go through that yeah so i, I love that it, it's just part of the game um so don't be afraid of it uh don't be embarrassed mm-hmm. by it um don't be afraid to put yourself out there uh because that's that's there for everybody yeah. that's there from the person who just picked up their first pencil mm-hmm. yesterday to like the hot shot that looks like they're the star of the yeah, art world. Yeah, yeah. Everybody gets Absolutely. rejected. Absolutely. 
Yeah, and if you haven't yet, you will. And um, <laughs> and it, it stings. <laughs> yep. It stings less and less as time moves forward. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about fresh uh, rejection will sting less and will matter less to you. You know, or or it has in my case anyway. Uh, it no, that's how yeah. I that's how I have felt about it yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, in the beginning, everyone felt like a like a hard mm -hmm. blow, and now it's sort of like it happens, and you're like, okay, let's yeah, pivot. Yeah. What's the next thing? You know, that it well, is. It's kind of it like is. the vacuum yeah. sales guy. I mean, he gets so many, um, you know, proverbial uh, rejections of doors, you know, slammed in his face, that kind of thing. So, I mean, it's the same kind of deal. So, you will develop your Definitely. your thick skin, just like just like everyone yep. else. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. All right. Um, thanks so much for uh, your time, Sarah, and appreciate your, your patience as we uh, weave our way around all of these topics here today. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having uh, me. Let's talk about, in closing here, um, unless you had something else, but I, I wanted to talk about uh, your future plans. Like, what, what, are you, what are you looking forward to right now? What, what's uh, on the immediate horizon here? just chugging along and doing my thing. Um, I, I keep a, I keep a pretty tight studio practice. So when I'm not doing other things, I'm in there every Are day. You? And, uh, how, how, how long, oh, like a, a tip, do you, do you have a typical day? Like how many hours or something like um, that? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, honestly, I'm not the type of artist that like can go eight yeah. hours. I, I find, you know, like I've got like maybe between three and five hours of like really good artwork okay. yeah. in me. Um, and then I, I, you know, I could go six. Uh, there's, there's been years yeah. where I've been prepping for right. things and days that I've gone seven hours. Um, but I think I get my best work done in, in probably like the, the four mm -hmm. hour of, of actual artwork range. Um, and then, you know, there, there's plenty of business tasks and emails mm -hmm. to respond to, or, you know, once I'm done with painting or drawing, I'll prep canvas, mm -hmm. you know, canvas panels or, or do that kind of work, clean my brushes, that right. kind of stuff. So I'm in there, but, um, the actual art producing, um, yeah, is, is really only like half gotcha. of the time. Okay. Very cool. That's, that seems like a nice balance really does. It's, uh, yeah, for, for now it, it, it is. And, and, you know, it's taken me a while to like figure out what that is, but, um, and I think every artist is mm -hmm. different, but for me, once I get past a certain point, um, I'm just, I'm not making good art anymore because I'm yeah. getting tired yeah. and I'm, I'm, I'm making lazy decisions right, right. instead of good decisions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's why I think those breaks are real important. At least for me, I, oh my goodness, yeah. I have to, I make it a, a mandatory break at one hour. Uh, whether I want to do it or not, I, I do, even if it's five minutes, but I just get up and, and take a break. No, I think I think that's good. Yeah. And actually, you know, again, this probably varies from yeah. artist to artist, but I find um, sometimes with the colored pencil work, um, I get more into the zone mm. and forget about time yeah. than I do with the painting work. Um, they're just very different mindsets. Yeah. And um, the colored pencil work, I think it's really easy to get into an so area meditative. and just sort of just totally yeah. lose track of the universe oh, around for you. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's when it's good to so. listen to audiobooks or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so, Sarah, I really appreciate your time. Um, and, you know, I didn't even I just thought of this. I didn't even talk to you about teaching. Um, you do teach a little bit, right? I do some I have some tutorial videos that I've done for Strathmore uh, over yeah. the years. And um, every once in a while, I teach a workshop. Um, okay. Typically, and it's typically a colored pencil workshop because I find fi finding someone that can teach colored pencil is a little bit um, 
harder than finding someone that can teach painting. Seems like there's maybe more oil painters out there than proficient colored pencil artists, maybe. Um, So usually when a workshop pops up for me, um, it is colored pencil. but Exclusively, it's not or are you are you using your acrylic base and all of that? Or you're doing yeah, the mixed actually, media. A lot of times when I do a workshop, and again, there's they're kind of few and far between. Okay. Um, they are a little bit more materials okay. based. Yeah. Um, so I show them like a couple different techniques. Yeah. So I show them like if I was going to work with just colored yeah. pencil, I'd approach it this way. If I'm working, you know, I typically I show them solvent blending because oh. a lot of people, you know, get really excited yeah. and jazzed about that. Um, <laughs> Even though you don't use it, you're like, hey. It is a it, technique, but, I, yeah. but it's a it's yeah, a tool. Yeah. Oh, you know, sure. that's a tool to have right, right. in your in your art yeah, toolbox. Yeah. Um, so you're not really just teaching. Them. Here is my process. This is what I do every time. You're more doing this exploration of materials, and you're saying this is what is possible. I love it that is. a lot. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, and and that's the you know that's the way I like to mm-hmm. approach it because I'm not the kind of I, I'm not the the artist that is like here here here's how you draw this yeah. one thing right because right. again going back to what we yeah. talked about like i want people to be able to draw everything yeah. so a lot of times for my workshops i keep the subject matter like very mm-hmm. simple like really simple still life even just like a colored sphere on like a piece of colored felt right. so we can talk about warm and cool and color mm-hmm. variation um i think depending on the audience mm-hmm. Sometimes people can even get a little frustrated with mm-hmm. that because they're thinking they're going to walk away with this like perfectly rendered portrait of like a cat or something. Um, and there's workshops where you can yeah. do that, and that, yeah, you know, and yeah. that's great because like as we as we technique is right, important. Right. Um, but m- I think my strong suit and and what I'm interested in is really more of the exploration of technique, application, materials. So I like to kind of focus on that kind of stuff. I think I have found my kindred spirit here. Um, we agree on so <laughs> many things. And I, I didn't know this would happen, but that's that's so interesting. I love it. Yeah, that is interesting. All right, yeah. Sarah, uh, I will let you go. Thanks so much for your time. Again, I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show and for sharing as much as you have. Uh, I love it. I'd love to have you back too at some point. It'd be awesome. Yeah, I would be, uh, be happy to come back anytime. Cool. Thank you so much. Um, if anybody wants to connect with me, uh, my name on, you know, my handle on Instagram is just my name, Sarah Bechtel. So come find me. We can nerd out about materials. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And be sure and uh, go over to the show notes and check out Sarah's uh, website. And we will say goodbye then. And guys, if you've not left a rating and or a review for the show, I would appreciate that. You can do that over there on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. We're on Stitcher. We're on uh, iHeartRadio. We're on uh, just about any platform that they're, well, we're on Amazon devices. We're on Audible, anywhere that you can listen to audio. So if you're part of Member Circle, then you get the video version, uh, Rough Cut, and uh, that's over there inside Member Circle early. So we will talk to you again next week. And until then, take care and stay sharp. Bye-bye.